guys, the San Jose Hockey Nail Podcast is back for our debut, sequel, reboot, whatever you call it. We've got a new co-host, and we've got a special first guest, Todd Marchant, Sharks Director of Player Development, here to talk about the draft. Welcome to the new San Jose Hockey Now podcast. This is Shang Peng with my new co-host, Keegan McNally. Keegan, you might know him as Half Wall Hockey on Twitter and at, from halfwallhockey.com. There's a dash between the half and the wall. And he also has been writing for San Jose Hockey Now since January. Great in-depth pieces, dives into prospects like Daniel Gushin, William Eklund. A lot of tape in Keegan's articles. So great stuff there. So check that out. But welcome aboard, Keegan. Thank you, Shang. I'm really excited to be starting this podcast or restarting this podcast with you. I think it's going to be a um, an excellent source of information for all things San Jose hockey. So I'm very, very excited. But um, I think the the first bit of business and how we'll probably do a lot of the shows is we'll start off with the news of the week kind of thing or news of the however long it's been since we've done a podcast. Um, and we'll start off with um, the newest Patrick Marlowe news, if you've got some words, Shang. Yeah, and uh, the news is that uh, Patrick uh, uh, is rejoining the Sharks front office. Uh, he is a player development coach and hockey operations advisor. And uh, my initial thought uh, hearing the news was uh, first um, that his job, uh, specifically his duties, are to work with Barracuda players. He's going to be based in San Jose. So mm -hmm. uh, work with Barracuda players, work with young Sharks players, right? So this is unlike other development guys like Tommy Wingles and Lucas Pisa, who will be doing a little bit more traveling, I think, and you know visiting players at college or their junior teams or overseas and that sort of thing, right? And it sounds like uh, Patrick will be doing that a, a, a bit less. Also, too, it sounds like his job kind of, uh, duplicates what uh, Mike Ricci uh, is doing. You know, Mike Ricci uh, mm -hmm. is is there's the development guy, and uh, he is doing Barracuda stuff, and he's doing young younger Sharks player stuff too. And so I wondered if um, if uh, Marlowe was replacing Ricci or if they were just going to team up. And I checked around on it, and it sounds like it's more of a team up here. So it's, that's great yeah. news because everybody loves Ricci, and so. <laughs> You're going to have, uh, you know, Tom Marchand as your director of player development, of course. And then you have uh, Ricci and Marlowe as sort of your Barracuda Sharks guys. And then you have Tommy Wingles working with the Sharks prospects forwards outside of San Jose. And Lucas Pisa, former defenseman himself, working with Sharks prospects defensemen outside of San Jose. And uh, my second thought uh, about all this, mm -hmm. too, is that that is a lot of development people, a lot of people with uh, development in their title. Seems uh, Marshawn, like it, yeah. yeah, seems like it, right? Marshawn's your director, and you have floor development coaches. So I got to check on this, but um, it's my theory that um, the Sharks will have the, the most uh, development people, um, at least by name, uh, on, on staff or somewhere uh, around there, which kind of makes sense, you know. Under in uh, in the Doug Wilson era, I think things were run a little bit lean. Uh, mm -hmm. Doug Junior, for example, handled a lot of the kind of the player development stuff, or he headed it uh, in the same way that uh, Todd Marchant is uh, doing now. 
But uh, since Mike Greer has come on, there has been uh, no shortage of uh, hires. Uh, just for example, right, the Sharks have Scott Fitzgerald focusing on the first two rounds of the draft, which no other team has. So. Just the first two. Yeah. Just the first two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and that's really uh, just kind of a credit to the turnover, I guess, because we're used to just hearing from like two or three guys within the organization as, as early as last year. And now it's there's 10 guys there that are, you know, all have different roles and are all taking different parts of this organization. So there's been a lot of turnover and a lot mm -hmm. of new names, plus a lot of, you know, old names for, for Sharks fans that have been uh, watching for a long time. Like uh, myself, I've, I've been a Sharks fan since about 2002, 2003, since I was a child. Um, and, and hearing these names like Ricci and Marlowe and, and Wingles, like players that I grew up watching and just now that they're going to be, you know, teaching and, and, you know, growing the next group of Sharks players, it's, it's really awesome from a fan perspective, at least. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so congratulations to Patty. It's just one more on a long line of accomplishments for, for Patrick Marlowe. And um, I think uh, there might be, well, hopefully, more Sharks players to come in the future, too. So. Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton is kind of who I'm <laughs> hoping for as well, uh, just from a selfish standpoint. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, Joe still might, you know, have some playing days in him. Who knows? But um, I think the the other thing and, and the, the elephant in the room, as it were, I guess, as we move towards the draft uh, coming up next week. Which is uh, the other big thing. <laughs> the other, other big thing um, besides the draft that's coming up is other piece of Sharks news that we need to get into um, is a article that was put out this week that um, the Eric Carlson camp and the San Jose camp have come together and kind of decided that a trade is in the future or they're going to work on getting a trade done. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of articles about it and a lot of speculation about who could take on this kind of contract. And I think this is a good place to start, um, something that we should discuss about potential um, trade value for Eric Carlson. Yeah, and I think the one thing I, I wanted to say uh, with with that, uh, I was working on an article about this, and uh, I decided I'll just say it on, on the podcast that um, I don't think that Eric Carlson is going to get a lot uh, uh, in trade, at least not as much as I see some Sharks fans are hoping for. And three things in particular stand out uh, as to what limits Eric Carlson's trade value. And number one, Carlson isn't a highly desirable asset. Now, I understand that Carlson has just had a 100-point season. He's going to win a Norris Trophy. He's arguably the best defenseman in the world. But it's not just about when you talk about somebody's desirability as a trade asset. It's not just about what he did this season, right? It's about... His play over the last few years, his age, and of course, the big thing with Carlson, his contract. Mm -hmm. And he's had one great season in his last four years. He's 33, and three of his last five seasons, his year has been cut short by injuries. And $11.5 is about 14% of a $83.5 million cap, which is where the cap is now. There aren't many players uh, worth that at, at all. And so he had all these things combined. Um, even if the Sharks retain a lot of money, and I've seen this comment that, you know, let's say the Sharks retain $4 million, $4.5 million, right? Anybody would sign Car Eric Carlson to something like a four-year, $28 million contract. And sure, there are probably a lot of teams that would take that chance, but that's taking the risk of Carlson for free in terms of extra assets. Yep. What we're saying now, what the Sharks want is, is what they're saying is take on the risky contract, let's say four years, say Sharks retain a lot, 28 million, 
and we want back a first round pick and then we want back a grade B prospect and throw in a second round pick while you're at it. And so I'm not really, I'm not really uh, uh, seeing that. So second, because he isn't a highly desirable trade asset, that of course limits the teams that are interested in him. And so if you have a limited number of teams interested and keep in mind, Carlson has a full no movement clause. So that can also limit the number of teams that can get into the bidding. If you don't have a number of teams bidding against each other, you're not going to egg on better offers. And third, uh, finally, why I don't think the Sharks are going to get a lot in a Carlson trade. I think both sides are motivated, like you said, Keegan, to get this deal done, I believe, before the start of the season. You know, the Sharks want to capitalize on Carlson's positive trade value right now. Mm-hmm. You know, remember, what was Carlson's trade value last season? About nothing, essentially. Yeah, negative, uh, or right? negative nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, you uh, would be hard-pressed to find anyone to take Carlson at half of his contract. Probably. Yeah, yeah. And so we have that. So that's that's something for Mike Greer to capitalize on. And also, too, Carlson himself wants to leave and play for a, a contender. So both sides are motivated to, to make a deal. And sure, uh, the Sharks can hold him for the season. And in theory, his value can go up if he keeps playing well, if the cap goes up, you know, it's supposed to go up a few, a few million after next year and a year after that. But the value can also go, you know, kaput if he has one injury. And so anyway, um, this is very true. I mean, it's, he's, he's already had such an extensive uh, injury history that it, it really could happen. This was a yeah. great year for him, but that's definitely possible. Yeah, this is not the 27, 28-year-old Eric Carlson that the Sharks mm-hmm. acquired five years ago that, you know, was sort of like he was making $6.5 million on the current contract and, you know, kind of close to the peak of his value. But also, too, though, his value was capped by the fact that he had a big extension coming, too. But he's not that valuable. Uh, this isn't a 33-year-old player that has been, like, healthy through and through, uh, uh, you know, every single season and playing mm-hmm. at an elite level for the last three, four years. Like, let's say if you traded Brent Burns when he was 33. This isn't the the, the same situation here. Yeah, so, and, and I think that Brent Burns is a an interesting example that we'll probably get to in a minute um, just on, in terms of what trade value could look like for this kind of contract. Right, right, right. And so then I think the obvious question is, you know, what kind of trade value uh, might you expect, right, for uh, Eric Carlson? And so here are some comps, uh, the the closest I can find for a Carlson trade. And there is no perfect comp. I wrote an article recently uh, titled, A Potential Carlson Trade Could Make Salary Cap History. And few teams retain for that long, four years, and nobody retains for that long or for that much. And just to give you an example of, uh, of that, you know, people are talking about the Sharks retaining maybe $3 million, $4 million of Carlson's contract. Of course, the Sharks are rumored to want to hold it down to the $2 million area. But anyway, there have been just 15 examples since the introduction of salary retention during 2013 of a team retaining $3 million or more. And they've all been on expiring contracts. It doesn't bode well. (laughs) No, it doesn't bode well. And our closest comp to Carlson is actually probably, uh, in my research, the Brent Burns trade from last year. And the Sharks retained 34%. They knocked down Burns' 8 million AAV down to 5.3 million for the Canes for three more years. So that's, you know, 2.7 million retention. That's a good Mm -hmm. amount. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Shane. No, go ahead. No, so, yeah, I was going to say 
even though Brunt was a little bit older when he was traded, it somehow felt like a safer move than trading Eric for Eric Carlson. Because Eric Carlson is yeah. an extremely boom or bust at this point in his career. Well, Brent's very durable, right? Brent's played exactly. how many seasons in, in, in a row, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to the time of the trade, you know, I think other teams were looking at uh, – three more years for a 37-year-old defenseman in Burns, who was still considered a top-four defenseman, very good, but not elite anymore. So Carlson, you know, there's a wash there, right? Carlson is younger, but he's a lot more injury-prone, but he just put together a Norris Trophy-caliber season. So that's, you know, so there's some pluses there for Carlson. There's some negatives there. But Mm -hmm. the the end-all, be-all, though, was that there just wasn't a huge market there for Burns. And you also had to throw in, too, that Burns had a limited three-team trade clause. You know, Carlson has a no movement. Yeah, so. like even even more limiting. And I think Carolina wasn't even on Burns' three-team, if I remember. Right, right, right. They had So any team that the, the teams ask of Carlson, Carlson wanted to prove. Though I will say, though, let me look. The Sharks were really bad last year. They're probably going to be even worse. So there's not a lot yeah. of situations that Carlson could go to that are going to be worse competitively than San Jose. But... <laughs> and also those and it, teams probably are not super interested in, in getting Carlson anyway. Right, uh, right. When, Some of those teams at the at, at the bottom uh, layer, yeah. So definitely the Sharks, I feel, I know a lot of people are critical of Mike Greer for uh, the what he got back for Brent Burns, but I think the Sharks got back what they could with the limitations uh, of it. You know, they didn't, I don't think they wanted to, to keep, they could have said to Brent Burns, hey, stay longer, play, uh, start the season with us, play well, maybe we can get more. They, you know, they, they, I mean, they, they did a service to Brent Burns for all everything he's done for the franchise. And granted, Carlson is not at the Burns icon uh, level in San Jose, but you know, Carlson's been been around for a while. He's a veteran. You know, it does show well on your front office if you do right by veterans like that. And the Sharks got back what they could, right? So they got back a young, solid fourth liner in Steven Lawrence, a goalie prospect in Makanyemi, who's more of an upside guy. You know, if he hits, if he stays healthy, then you've got something. But he's obviously had injury troubles, not just this past year, but the year before. Uh, He's coming off an injury when the Sharks traded for him. And what turned out to be a late 2023 third-round pick. Um, So, you know, looking back now, you know, Burns obviously had a great year with a great team. And he was on the fringes of the Norris Trophy conversation for the Hurricanes. Yeah, and actually, I want to talk about that for just a minute because mm-hmm. we were mentioning that the the Burns trade itself might be the the framework for the Carlson trade, like the yeah. most likely comp. I think Burns's great year actually lends more to teams maybe wanting to take. Yeah, a no, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. You know, like I'm sure a team like Dallas, right, that sorely needs a number two after Heiskanen, and I've, as far as I know. Dallas, I believe, was on their list. Uh, they obviously have a tons of Sharks connections. Uh, yep. Joe Pavelski, Pete DeBoer. Uh, DeBoer, who said to, you know, he he loves his old Sharks. He really does. He loves his old Sharks, you know. He would have taken mm-hmm. Brent Burns back in, in, in a heartbeat, right? I'm sure the Stars wish they had offered more for Brent Burns. They sure could have used them in the conference finals against Vegas, right? Instead mm-hmm. of that first-round pick they sent to the Rangers for Nails Lundquist, who they, they scratched. Yeah, <laughs> they ended up scratching. I mean, he's still a prospect, or well. Young player. Yeah, he's still uh-huh. young. And, you know, he he may be, you know, I mean, in, in, in three years, you know, he better be a much better player than <laughs> Brent Burns and mm-hmm. probably Eric Carlson, right? Uh, that's troubling if he isn't, right? But yeah, um, if you're thinking about, you know, that's the risk, of course, if you're trying to win now. You know, you take the chances for the now guys like Brent Burns. Um, and, I'm, again, I, you know, I'm sure if Dallas could do a redo, knowing that they were going to make the conference finals, um, yeah. I you know, 
they definitely could have had Brent Burns there. Yeah, yeah, they they could have they could have outdone the Carolina deal, I'm sure, because Carolina, you know, there's there are some okay pieces, there are decent pieces. Love Lawrence, you know, third round pick is you know is a decent pick, but that's McEnany seemed to be the sticking point, and I think that's the second trade I remember that they recorded like uh, Greer really being wanting a specific prospect, and I think mm. Shakir Mugamadulin was the other one that was mentioned in the Timo Meyer trade. So it could have literally just been McAniemi as the, the sticking point, but that's true. Yeah. McAniemi could have been, could have, could have been a big, uh, big plus. I'm not sure if the Dallas had equivalent goalie prospect. And obviously since Greer has come in, he's kind of reshaped the goaltending already. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, letting Goudreau walk and, uh, you know, I don't know if Strauss man is coming back. It's signing Romanov, signing Krona and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's true. He, he may have uh, liked McAniemi uh, quite a bit, but I don't think McAniemi was like a huge part of that deal. Just in, so far as like, I mean, Makniemi only played a half of last season. He had a back injury, you know, like, and yeah, even before yeah, that, he was yeah. just kind of like here. Um, could be a super high upside, and uh, yeah, yeah, he he has that. You, you want to get somebody that at least has like a chance, even if it's like mm-hmm. a small percentage. You know, you don't want to just get a guy that at best he's an AHL goalie. You know, yeah. So, but anyway, so, back to the point. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like, but but I think you make a good point though that like. Looking at the stars example from last year, last offseason, maybe the stars could be into the, the Carlson Derby. Um, though I think Burns all around fits more fit more of their needs. But uh, maybe there's a team that that sees something like that and might offer a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers, just because the Edmonton Oilers were in the Carlson Derby this year, said to be interested. I've seen some of the the sort of the potential offers out there, and I just don't know or the the potential kind of wants that the Sharks had, and I'm just not seeing the reality of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard names like you know Evan Bouchard. You're not giving me Evan Bouchard was phenomenal for the Shark. I'm sorry for the Oilers in the playoffs. You know, replaced Len um, Lenberry, Tyson Berry. Uh, with you know uh, didn't miss a beat. Uh, uh, in in the playoffs, uh, replacing him on a power play, the Oilers' power play in the playoffs was forty six percent. Yeah, and you're not getting Evan Bouchard. Yeah. Um, you're not getting a first plus Evan Bouchard, and so things like that. You know, your first Evan Bouchard plus other decent stuff for Carlson. Even if you take on some of their bad money, you know, uh, we even heard like the Sharks were asking for three first, and maybe they were asking for three first or. It, not exactly three first-round picks, but the equivalent value of three first-round picks. Just like the Sharks last year when they traded for Meyer, they got a first-round pick from New Jersey and Mukumadulan, who was the equivalent of a first-round value. In a yeah. redraft of his year, he would still probably go in the late first round, just like he did in, you know, in his original draft year. Yeah, and and, they, got a, they got a second that could be a first plus some other Right, teams. right. So they got some Both decent combined. stuff. Like, this is for Timo Meyer, though, right? Yeah, Which exactly. doesn't have the, the challenges... Uh, of an Eric Carlson trade. And so, you know, if you look at other long-term retention deals too, and this may not be all of them, but these are just a few that came to mind. You know, Ekman Larson in Vancouver in 2019. Uh, I know he just got bought out, but at the time it was six years retention. And the Coyotes did get a first rounder out of it, but they had to take on three bad contracts uh, in uh, Erickson, Beagle, and and, and uh, Antoine Rousseau. And they also gave up a pretty good player in Connor Garland too at the time. Uh, Milan Lucic in 2019, four years reta- retention, but that was basically just a swap of bad contracts between he and uh, James Neal. I think Calgary got a third round pick out of it too. Phil Kessel, 2015, seven years retention, but Phil was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the Leafs got the Leafs got Kapanen, who was a pretty good prospect back then, and a first, but they gave up a second, so that kind of balances out. So, 
anyway, for Ekman, Larson, Lucic, Kessel, you might also say, though, I think this is one argument that people will have is, well, the Sharks are going to uh, retain a lot more than uh, Vancouver, I'm sorry, Arizona on Ekman, Larson, which is, I think, one point, uh, or no, under a million dollars. Lucic was... Uh, 750 maybe. Castle, I think, was 1.2, the retention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Carlson, we're talking about a lot more retention. But yeah. you're talking about a lot more retention because the original salary figure is a whole lot larger, <laughs> right, <laughs> than Castle's original contract figure, Lucic's or Ekman Larson's. And so maybe, I think that all kind of balances out. Maybe my percentage, Castle's and and uh, Carlson's, will be similar at the time of signing. But you're mm-hmm. right. The, the Carlson deal is so big for so much money. For a player that's a little bit older and also injury prone. Yeah. And I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense where we want it to be a huge return because he's very hopefully going to win the Norris Trophy in front of all of us next Monday. Um, and it makes it makes us feel bad if we're going to trade Eric Carlson for less than he's worth on like a pure ability standpoint. But the, the way that the NHL works and we prove it every single year at the trade deadline and on the yeah. offseason is the cap rules everything. Brent it's Burns, again, team. just look at Brent Burns. and Exactly. It's the only thing that teams will um, finagle or, or will keep in the back of their mind in every single trade is the cap. Yeah. And that's the way it is, especially in a flat cap era that hasn't raised. Um, I think the, the problem that we ran into is Edmondson was the big winner. They really, really wanted to push for a or big... Um, big push for Eric Carlson through the trade deadline. And now they got Matias Ekholm. Yeah. And, and they got Bouchard too, who emerged as, like I said, who, who took a very spot on the power play without, you know, without missing a beat. Yeah. Right. I, I don't see it. I don't, I, I don't see it there anymore. So I guess my question to you would be who maybe could the, uh, could be targeting Eric Carlson. Well, I just wrote a piece about uh, 10 teams that I, I, I kind of uh, played around in, in my head. I thought maybe, and I, and I did put Edmonton in there just because they mm-hmm. were in it in, in season. Um, I actually have also, I'm working on something. I, I, I've asked uh, uh, beat reporters for uh, every, uh, uh, all of those 10 teams, uh, their thoughts. And uh, let me just say that, uh, that it was pretty, uh, pretty negative. And yeah, oh, beat no. reporters aren't the GMs, but yeah. uh, and not that, that that people don't don't love uh, Eric Carlson's game, but just again, just the contract, just the age, you know, just all those yeah. other things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so if I were to throw out like best guesses, I mean, I'm gonna say Florida only because I don't see the I don't see how it works with the cap, but. Florida, just because Jeff Merrick uh, mentioned it, and obviously uh, Merrick is well connected. So okay, so so that that might be that might be in there. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe a Toronto I could see being motivated because they could use another defenseman, and mm-hmm. you know they might have to break up though their kind of core four of forwards though just to be able to fit in Carlson's uh, money. But mm-hmm. you know they do have new management there, so maybe. You know, uh, Brad Loving will want maybe a little more balance, right? Instead of all that money concentrated up front. And so Carlson could present that. Um, I mm. think Dallas, uh, you know, if Dallas is, you know, serious about, about winning, they, they, need to, they need to figure out basically who's going to support uh, Heiskanen. And it's not, you know, I, I don't think Ryan Suter is as bad as people say he is, but he's not a number two defenseman anymore, a uh, number three defenseman anymore or anything like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, like they, they should have, they should have ponied up for Brent Burns. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. Like he, they should have throw in a second round pick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like you, you, like you, you could <laughs> see Carolina's offer yeah. in a landslide, 
Burns lives there. He fits everything that Pete DeBoer wants, you know, and mm-hmm. even Joe Pavelski. Like that, that was sort of like a, a match made it made made in heaven, and they didn't take the chance. You know? Yeah, you really have to yeah. you have to look at the teams that have the space, the want or the desire for a right shot, right. offensive D-man, the pieces to acquire them, and then maybe even some bad contracts on their team that they mm-hmm. want to get rid of. Um, and the list after you do all of that and are willing to take that risk is very, very small. And then <laughs> that Eric would want to go there too. So yeah. Yeah. And, and Carlson would have to actually want to, to go there. Say somebody like Buffalo, they've got tons of space. They've got a, a developing core. Um, they could use a Carlson, even though they have Dolan. Um, they could use him, but does Carlson want to go there at the end of the day? Right. And also there's a stylistic thing too, right? Because Carlson, mm-hmm. as good as he is, is, you know, really heavily weighed offensively right yeah. i'm not going to call him like one dimensional but he's very very heavy offense right yeah. and usually teams looking to take the next step they want somebody with a little more balance you know that's why brett pesci besides the fact that he's making a lot less money than eric carlson he's younger um yeah. you know there's a lot of demand for him because because uh, because he also is a more balanced player mm-hmm. I think, and I think, so um, you something... need a specific need for yeah. a high octane offensive guy like carlson I think something you mentioned was the new management group. And I mm-hmm. think that's interesting because somebody like Toronto. Oh, in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a new management group that when we've seen with Mike Gruen, the new management come groups or comes in, they're not always married to the prospects and the players that sure. were acquired by the prior group. Um, they don't see the same level of value. They might be willing to trade them and try mm-hmm. and make a big splash. So yeah. Yeah. For what's worth too, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dubas was said to, to, to be kicking the tires on Carlson thought about it last yeah. Uh, last year, and so you know, maybe some of the scouts that 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 supported Carlson are still there in Toronto. I don't know. Uh, the, but, um, uh, yeah, I wrote a, a short article on the on halfwallhockey.com basically outlining a, a Toronto Eric Carlson trade. And while it is crazy and from the depths of you know cap friendly armchair GM or or basically that kind of thing, it's you know possible they've got some contracts they might want to move out, Matt Murray included. I, I uh, mm-hmm. Sure, they're trying to find ways to get some space for them. Um, and then they've got a lot of holes in their roster that they're still trying to compete with their big four unless they yeah. trade one of them this offseason. Um, they might look into something like that. But the list of teams might be very small for Eric Carlson. So that's kind of where we're sitting with Eric Carlson and his news. I think um, an important thing to keep in mind is the San Jose Sharks are going to be having 12 draft picks um, at the 2023 NHL draft, at least to start. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, very infrequent that a team keeps all of their picks or doesn't move around during the draft. But um, I think... uh, the, the most interesting uh, part of the offseason, for me at least, is coming up with the draft. I don't know about you, Shang. Oh, um... More of a free agent guy? More of you know, honestly, guy. this is sad to say, but the, the most fun uh, covering a uh, team is the playoffs. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so so no. I don't know what that feels like anymore. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think that I'm going to know what that feels like for a while yet. But uh, mm-hmm. that is so much fun. So, um, you know, yeah. I think my work is better in the, in the, in the playoffs. Um, and I'm just more engaged. Like, look, it's, it's harder to, ha- you know, end of the season have to write, like, you know, 500 words trying to tell you why, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, 
Ivan Chekovich, you know, is is is, is going to come in and and be a top six guy for the Sharks next year. Yeah. <laughs> or looking a- into the positives of Sasha Chemileski's game, and yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like he can he can maybe be a third line center one day, maybe you know, like, maybe you know, if you yeah. squint really hard, it's yeah, very- yeah, a lot of squinting going on, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've had to do a lot of squinting in the last uh, four years, so so we're hopeful that the uh, upcoming draft kind of leads to more clear clear view of prospects and i think it starts <laughs> with the sharks having the number four overall pick mm-hmm. to start um they also have picks and i'm just going to run through them very quickly yep uh you can feel free to, to glaze over it but four, 26 36 94 100 123 130 132 164 196 203 and 206 mm-hmm. it is an extremely large amount of draft picks for this year which is credit to mike greer coming in and and trying to accumulate that amount of picks and recognizing the Sharks may need to rebuild. And um, Ivan Chekovich and Alexander Chemilevsky are, may not be the ones to do it. For... I saw Alexander True a couple of nights ago, Game 7 yeah. of Calder Cup. He looked pretty good. <laughs> he did look pretty good. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to bring up a couple of things related to the draft real quick. Um, this week we had uh, Bob McKenzie's ranking. And if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with the draft, Bob McKenzie's ranking is kind of like the the bible for draft guides because it's a it's a culmination of 10 different scouts in the nhl or had scouting highly ranked yeah so yeah yeah, i think that's part of you know so maybe the decision makers so exactly it's people that they're actually going to be sitting there at the table and they kind of make that list um and then they send it to bob and bob collates the list with the other nine scouts and makes his ranking top 100 ish or so um or top 80 something like that 96. It was top 96 with some That's honorable the mentions. Yeah. yeah. Um, first so three rounds. First three rounds. In- first three rounds. And I think the um, all of those players have a high, high likelihood of being drafted. And mm-hmm. it's it's a good place to start if you're looking for where the Sharks might pick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Craig Button put out a mock draft today, actually. Now it reveals, reveals when we were actually making this podcast. But yeah. um, uh, that had the Sharks picking Matt Faye Mitchkov. Um, as well as Michael Robble, the goaltender, with their 26th mm-hmm. pick. So the topic that we're going to bring up for a couple minutes is, who would you pick at 4 and 26, and who do you think is going to get picked, Shane? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to add one, one rumor I've been hearing, and it's an interesting one. And again, it's just a rumor. I want to mm-hmm. emphasize that. Just a rumor. But Rumor in big, bolded letters yes. with an underline. Yeah. But a source told me that, and you guys have, might have been hearing this already, you know, there's a lot of helium for Will Smith at number three to Columbus. And we've heard, we heard that before, like about a month ago, but then like it quieted down that talk after Leo Carlson has such an impressive uh, world championships, you know, number uh, top center for the men's, you know, the over like the actual adult team, you know, not, not, not a juniors team. Um, but Anyway, that's that's what someone 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 told me that there's a lot of talk about Smith going to Columbus, and so that could really you know kind of uh, reset the board. I mean, I still expect it. If you if you ask me personally, I still expect it to be Bedard, Fantilli, and then Carlson in that order, and you know uh, before leaving Smith or Michkov or somebody like that for the Sharks. But you know, if if you if 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 if, uh, if you buy into Smith to Columbus, there's even like I, I call it a credible speculation, and I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's speculation <laughs> from people who are connected. Yep. So yep. Merrick suggested that maybe Anaheim takes a swing at Mich- Michkov at number mm-hmm. two, 
And um, John Hoven, uh, Mayor's Manor, he's very tapped in with the Kings and to some degree with the Ducks too, right? He suggests that he's been hearing that the Ducks are uh, the Ducks are going to pick <laughs> Leo Carlson at at at, at number two. So I don't want to get Sharks fans too too excited, but you know, imagine Bedard, Carlson, Smith. Who does then, that leave at number four? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's actually possible. But... I don't think so. I don't think so. I I, yeah. I just want to put put out that I have heard that uh, mm -hmm. about about Smith. Now that that yeah that that's I can say that on, on my side that I that that uh, I was I was told that from a source that I trust, and um, yeah, yeah. And I actually so that, that 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 and even that you know if it goes uh, Bedard, Fantilli, and then Smith, I think Sh Sharks fans would be plenty thrilled with Carlson. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Carlson yeah. is sitting there. Like, I think it's an automatic pick. I don't think there's going to be a question. Just yeah. seems like such a San Jose Shark pick in the most recent years with our, our you know, drafting of Swedish prospects. So mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting. I, yeah. I think it, for number four, my heart of hearts. Thinks oh, I haven't answered the question yet, but oh, you yeah, go you, first. No, no, you go first. Okay, okay. Yeah. For, for number four, I think, <laughs> I think it'll be Will Smith. Um, I okay. believe that just because I, it feels right to me. It feels like the type of player that uh, Mike Greer is going to want to acquire to build around. So you um, believe the draft will go as most people expect: yes. Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson. Okay. I think it'll be Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith. I think yeah. it. At the end of the day, there is some speculation that it could be Carlson or somehow. I think honestly, Columbus might leap off the table if Fantilli's there at three. I think they might they might break the draft board <laughs> to take Van, or Van Tilly. Right, right, right. Van Heim does something shocking, so right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But it would be shocking. It's very possible, but shocking. Yeah. I think um, the the answer of who I would who I would pick is is a little bit tougher because I'm not Mike Greer. So my job is not to be the person who actually has to make that pick, right? If I was, I'd probably pick Will Smith too. Mm -hmm. But I personally would pick Mitchkov if I didn't have my job on the line for it. But that's mm -hmm. just mine. If that makes sense, I think yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, higher ceiling, but I'm would be too afraid to pick him. To be honest, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that that makes sense because I think like if if both Smith and Michkov kind of hit on what you know, sort of like their ceilings or whatever, right? Let's say Michkov is Nikita Kucherov, right? Yep. And let's say Will Smith is I don't know. Clayton Keller, better, right? Something like that, right? Yeah, uh, you know, you're talking about a, a point per game guy that you know you're gonna have. Like, you don't, you're not worried that if he's gonna be there or not three to five years from now because he's gonna yeah. be on your team. That's where he's gonna be. Whereas Michkov, as much talent as he has, like, yeah, he might hit that, but you may never see him. Yeah, and there's still a chance that somebody like Will Smith does turn into like a Dylan Strom kind of type that might take a long time to develop. Oh, sure, um, sure. Even. But it's super thought of in his draft year and, and so productive in his draft year, but then took forever to really develop because of his not his lack of a well-rounded game. So that's Yeah, and he's still a little bit of a limited player in, in, in my opinion. But yeah, mm -hmm. you can say the same with Michkov, though, you know, For like sure. Michkov, you know, there's, you know, Nikita Filatov, Nikolai Zhirdev, guys like yeah. that, you know. So, um, so yeah, I, I do see your, your point, though. Uh, just uh, for myself, um, so I think, 
yeah, I'm going to play it safe for who I think Greer will pick. I think it is going to be Smith. I do think that, you know, a lot of people talked about, well, the Sharks really want to improve their defense, but, you know, there isn't a, a, a defenseman in this draft that looks like necessarily that he is in the discussion with, you know, with uh, Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and yeah. Smith. You know, Reinbacher has some helium, and Reinbacher appears like he'll go high, but I don't know if um, the ceiling is, is quite uh, agreed upon enough, you know. Uh, where, where I, I, even though he fits more of a positional need and also just, I think how Mike is building the team from the defense out, you know, we've seen with some of the trades that he made at the trade deadline that, uh, Reinbacher could fit that, but I think Smith, uh, higher ceiling, um, I think, I, I, I think, I think it lands on Smith. Um, I would say that if, for, if I were just, you know, I'm not just me myself, not worried about a job being on the not line. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would take I would take Michkov too. And mm-hmm. I know that might be uh, surprising because I've written a lot about about Michkov. I wrote one thing about sort of character concerns about Michkov. But um, I think those those character things are real, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's he I, I don't I from what I've heard uh, and I, I believe it because I believe my sources that, uh, yeah, he hasn't proven to be the best teammate and that sort of thing. But he's only 18 and things like that can can get better. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I actually it makes me think of one uh, one story that um, I've kind of heard in the grapevine. I, I don't I don't know how like I'm I'm pretty I, I feel pretty good about sharing it. So, but uh, uh, you know, let, let let's say that it's not like um, you know, it wasn't like I, I was in a room or something like that, right? But okay. if you go back to the 2008 draft, right, and that's mm-hmm. the Eric Carlson draft. Um, the Kings had the 13th pick. Uh, Eric Carlson went 15th to to Ottawa. Sure. And I've heard that, and this is actually in support of Michkov, actually. But I think I think <laughs> I think I think that the argument I'm making is is first that character things like that, the impression you give to people does matter. For sure. And second, though, that like you can overcome that. And so at 13, the Kings picked Colton Tuber. Hmm. I don't think I remember Colton Tubert playing hockey in the NHL. <laughs> he like, might have played a handful of games or, or whatnot. But anyway, uh, supposedly Lombardi, Dean Lombardi, GM of the Kings, interviewed Carlson, just was off-put by him. You know, Carlson, mm-hmm. we could see, has a swagger. Some people say an arrogance, right? That I think can be off-putting to, to, to some people. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. so... Instead of having Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson from the same draft, too, mind you. Uh, oh, my gosh. At, at the, yeah, I mean, how many Stanley Cups were the Kings have wanted? They had Doughty and Carlson, right, in the first, yeah. you know, the, 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 the early part and mid part of their 20s together mm-hmm. on the same blue line, you know, at a discounted price or whatever, right? Yeah, how many? Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it boggles the mind, you know. I mean, it was, it was a, the King's style, I don't think, fit with Eric Carlson very well. But my lord, that is a lot of <laughs> talent on one blue. Line. That's a lot of talent, though, right? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how Daryl would have Daryl Sutter would have taken <laughs> Eric yeah. Carlson in his prime. But even then, the you still line. have like you say they wanted to trade him as a super young. Right, that's exactly. A, yeah, they wanted to trade him like that. They could have got mm-hmm. something better than Colton Tuber, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, so that's that's just an illustration, sort of of. Uh, but there's also the other the uh, the flip side too. I don't want to not airy, but not airy sort of like uh, character concern guy or whatever becomes Eric Carlson or Phil yeah. Kessel or has a career like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned Philatov, I mentioned Zierdev, 
guys like that, right? And so that's sort of the the, the danger uh, for of every it all. Yeah. for every Eric Carlson that you get. There's always like a Josh Hosang or a Ryan Merkley or things where Ryan Merkley, yeah, right, yeah, a character concern or some sort of hinting of character concerns comes up, and it might or might not be real. But yeah, I, I'm into fun. Uh, my job's not uh, not on the line, so yeah, I'm, I'm Matt Bay Mitchcock for me all the way. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the other interesting thing at 26, and then um, I think we'll, we'll we'll move on to our. Oh um, yeah, I forgot. I forgot my my 26 pick. Yeah, let's talk yeah, 26. Yeah. You, you go. You go first. The 26 first because yeah. I went okay. first last time. Um, oh, okay. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah. The um, the interesting thing is Robble, mm -hmm. Michael Robble, the the presumably number one goaltender off yep. the board has been mocked twice to the Sharks now yeah. by Corey Pronman and by Craig Bodden. Um, so I think the same question to you, who do you think they pick and then who would you like to see later on? Mm. So, yeah, I actually did an exercise like this for national hockey. Now we uh, did a mock draft with the, you know, the, the um, editor-in-chiefs of websites making picks for their team. And also we got uh, uh, draft experts like uh, Chris Peters and Russ Cohen to, to make picks for the, you know, the teams that aren't covered uh, mm -hmm. under the National Hockey Now umbrella. And so anyway, I, I think like a lot of people that I'm not thinking goaltending just because um, it's just a first-round pick on, on, on a goalie and that there's no – like Rabo is a good prospect, but he's not uh, – He's not Wallstead pro quality prospect at the time. He might turn out to be better. Who knows? But Casa at the time, you know, I know Casa was a, it was in the ECH this past year. But at the time, you know, Casa was drafted ahead of Wallstead. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Askarov, just any of the. He's not. He's not a um, a uh, cream of the crop. You know, if you want to talk about the top goalie prospects of the last ten years, you know, at draft prospects, right? Yeah. You know, Rabble isn't isn't uh, is isn't in that class, right? Yeah, he's and, not considered that for sure. Yeah, so I, I would still I would use use the the thirty six pick on a goalie who uh, whoever is is left there, um, which would still be the highest uh, Sharks pick uh, uh, Sharks uh, uh, goaltender pick in history. Their highest is actually fifty five, <laughs> long wow. time ago. Terry Friesen in nineteen ninety five, I think it was. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I would I would I would save the thirty six for 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 the for whatever goalie is is left there. Um, but anyway, for 26, uh, I, I think that they'll they'll go defense. Okay. And uh, in the in the mock that we did, uh, I went with Oliver Bonk. And I, I like uh, Bonk because um, I, I like Bonk from, I think, what is Greer or San Jose's perspective, that he's well-rounded, he uh, is long, he has reach, you know. I don't think size is like a... Um, I, you know, I, I think, you know, people talk about Mike Greer and size is, 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 is like a big, huge thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a little bit overblown. I think um, we've talked about this, right. And we'll talk about this in a second, right. With, uh, with our, our guest, Todd Marchant, uh, that, you know, competitive skill, it's more about compete, 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 compete. And, um, so, yeah, so 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 I don't think I so I don't see so much size for a lot of the potential draft picks. But I think for defense, though, I think though, and a lot of people want you know guys who can defend and are long. You know, <laughs> it, it helps you defend right when you have length. If you can skate, and you have length, right? And the Sharks have added and have a bunch of players like that: uh, Mukmadu and uh, uh, Hotiak. Um, um, uh, a pulley who they just signed, a Kanijov, guys like that can kind of fit that profile, right? And so I see mm -hmm. Bonk kind of in that profile, but also, you know, can move the puck and defends well too. So, you know, good package of of of, of tools there. 
Um, Finally, for who I would pick there, I mean, of course, you know, 26, we don't know who's going to be available. But again, you know, I'm into fun and, and ceiling. So uh, Andrew Cristal is, is it could be could be a fun guy right right there. Right. Even Not though stealing, I, sure. he has character concerns from from what I understand. But like, you know. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of talent offensively. I think Bedard called them like the smartest players ever played with, right? Um, or a goalie would be fun too, right? Um, Something you know, to write about for sure. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I would still stay away from goalie. And I think yeah. the Sharks. I think they will stay away. In the first, I could be wrong though. You know, Mike Rur could make some Sharks history there. Yeah, and um, I I kind of agree with you. I think it's going to be forward at, at the first pick, defense at the second pick, and then maybe goaltender at the third pick, unless there's somebody that very clearly um, is falling. Right, a guy who drops, right? Yeah. yeah, so they got, you know, Andrew Cristal, Riley Heights. Somebody falls into the second round that, you know, maybe you can't miss. Hopefully the Sharks take that swing. But, uh, it you know, everything happens on draft day, and it, it kind of um, – uh, the chips fall basically, and and players that you think are going top ten end up going forty seventh. That's just how it works. <laughs> but um, I think I I'm on a very similar vein. I think um that uh, they're going to look for a solid defenseman. Um, and okay. that in that twenty six pick, um, Oliver Bonk would have been a good guess for me uh, as well. I think I have like a, a just a very weird thought that they're going to go for Tanner Molendyke. Is they have just, a lot of though. I mean, not to interrupt you, a Molendyke, right? And Molendyke, mm-hmm. I, I can say uh, that the Sharks interviewed him at the combine. That's not like a, a huge, huge deal. The Sharks interviewed seventy-five players, so well, if okay. I was at the combine, they might have interviewed me. You know, <laughs> yeah. but one uh, of the best. It, yeah, if I play goalie, best, they, uh, they, they might one of the best um, skaters in this draft is Tanner Molendyke in terms of uh, defensive skating, and yeah. I think he just is, has such a high compete level that it seems like a, a career pick. Yeah, that's a size thing, though, because I, I, mm-hmm. there are a lot of defensemen who might smaller. be built by the time Molendyke, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gulayev, right? Uh, guys kind of in that in, in that range, right? Yeah, um, Gulayev and uh, Dragasevic are both, like, very high. Dragasevic, yeah. Yeah, high offensive defensemen that I think the Sharks, I, I hope, and if I was picking, I would, I would try and pick somebody like that, but... I think they're going to go after a more well-rounded defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's another disqualifying factor, too. So yeah. anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting, though. So Molendyke, uh, uh, you like? I think he, I think it's going to be Molendyke or somebody yeah. like Molendyke or Bonk. And somehow mm-hmm. if Wilander falls that far, but he won't, um, I think it might be them. Or Dmitry Simashev is an interesting one. You think he'll fall that far? I don't think so. I think he'll mm-hmm. go top 15 probably. Yeah. But He yeah, might be the, the second Russian picked, right? Yeah. Yeah, Daniil Boot or, or Dmitry yeah. Simashev yeah. um, or Mitchkov. I mean, Mitchkov's going way, way first, higher than Mitchkov both of first, them. Yeah, of all the Russians. But um, he might be the third or the second. Third, second, yeah. But um, the you know the Russian factor is strong. So if you're sitting there with Dmitry Simashev versus Tom Willander, where you know Willander is actually coming over and playing in, I think, Boston College next year. No, uh, BU. Uh, BU, sorry. Is, yeah, oh. yeah. As a, as a yeah, David really, David Quinn would be very upset at you right he now. Would be My career so too, and John McCarthy <laughs> over your years. Anyway, he's, you know he's coming over, right? Um, yeah. Why are you gonna be picking Simashev or Boot if somebody who's already coming over? So right. we'll see how far the Russians do fall during the uh, the draft. But um, an interesting conversation because those this is actually one of the better Russian draft classes in a while. If you just look at Mitchkov, Boot. Um, Simashev, uh, the Kansarov, like there's a bunch of dudes that are mm-hmm. highly rated um, in terms of the their high upside, basically. 
Um, all right, so the last thing I want to talk about for the the draft. Oh, uh, you didn't say though who you would pick though. Oh, who I would pick? Yeah. Oh, uh, or, I would say yeah. I have my my one guy who I've had for a long time is mm-hmm. is Dragosevic. Okay, Dragosevic. Okay. Yeah, he's not the. He has a lot of Ryan Merkley esque vibes. And I was gonna say Ryan Merkley, but can't skate. Good pick. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Ryan Merkley can't skate, but he is a slightly better defender. I uh-huh. think he's got a better work ethic, and I think mm-hmm. that the the upside offensively, the way that he creates offense, is a little bit more translatable than Merkley's was. Mm-hmm. So it's like Ryan Merkley skill, but maybe there's a package there that you could mold into a top four okay. defender. So that's my uh, that's my pick. But I understand that there's a lot of concerns with him. So yeah. it's a risky one for sure. All right. So Chang, did you watch? Mike Greer play as a player? Do you sure. remember? You did. Yeah. How would you describe Mike Greer as a player? Uh, definitely like a, a you know lunch pail sort of guy. Like a uh, and I mean this in a in a in the highest way possible. A perfect yes. third liner. Like if you want to build, uh, he didn't win any championships, but if you want to build a contending team or a championship team, and you know you can't, you know when you build such a team, you can't put like let's look, think about players from Mike Greer's time. You can't be like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna have Patrick Eliash on my third line. That's yeah. not how how money works. That's just not how hierarchy. <laughs> You know, yeah. it works, right? You you know, you're you're not you're not gonna be able to do that. You know, you gotta mm-hmm. fit in a guy that makes about the right money, um, and you know, a, 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 in in your third line spot, right? So a guy like Mike Greer, great PKer, uh, you know, again, you know, uh, a pure uh, a competitiveness, work ethic, kind of the things that you know you think he's looking for. You know, not just you know people just say, oh, you just want grit and hitting. No, it's uh, compete. You know, that's what I think about with Mike Greer. Just happen to be big, but. Um, yeah. I think we're we're going to get into this on our on our um, last segment of the day during our interview with Todd Marchand, but mm-hmm. it's the competitive skill aspect, right? It's, sure, it's yep. the the guy who's not just there to punch faces and hit people. That's you know, you yep. can do that. If Mike has some play. talent too. Mike uh, Mike went but over fifteen talent. goals in a dead puck era too. I think he might yeah. hit twenty in a year too. I'm not sure about that part of it, but yeah, you want a a guy that's going to um, be able to push play, um, mm-hmm. going to give you everything he's got every single night. And, you know, obviously is good on the PK, that kind of thing. So yep. this segment, I'm going to call the Mike Greeriest picks of the of the draft. <laughs> and these are the guys that may be picked later on. Um, but uh, just some picks that I've noticed throughout the, the, the uh, draft season that might have some Mike Greer vibes. Uh, first one on my list is uh, Jaden Lipinski. If you've heard of mm-hmm. Jaden Lipinski before. Um, he was ranked 89 by Bob McKenzie. So pretty mm-hmm. high. Still in the okay. third round. Yep. Um, He's uh, six foot three ish, six foot four, right shot, um, center slash right winger. Um, he's got everything you're looking for in that Mike Greer esque player, mm-hmm. that, that uh, high compete level. Greasy. Huh? Greasy. So, greasy. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The, the greasy the kind of players. The greasy exactly. kind of players. Yeah, greasy going to get you the puck back off the boards. Yeah. Um, can make a few plays. Um, definitely has a decent shot. Uh, May not have the highest skill level, may not have the best handling skill, playmaking, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, but is going to help your team every single night. Yep. That's my vote is Jaden Lipinski. Um, Can I interrupt you really uh, quickly? I just looking yeah. over uh, um, uh, Mike Rear's uh, uh, hockey reference page. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Mike uh, top twenty goal, or he got to twenty goals twice, right at twenty two times, yep. and he had fifteen or more five times. 
So yeah, that's not you know that's that's and, and this is again in, in a dead puck era for the most part. You know, this is yeah, and this is also the new rules of the of salary cap two thousand five or six in limited minutes, and I imagine limited yep. power play minutes as well. Yep. It's not like I, I don't think Mike was out there on the power play every day. Yep. Uh, maybe a little bit, but you know, either way, it's 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 somebody that you know is you want on your team to help you win games. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I've got two more forwards. Okay. Both of them are a little undersized. So Lipinski, perfect size. That's why he's going probably in the third round. Another one, even ranked higher, but is about five foot eight, five foot nine, is Denver mm-hmm. Barkey. Um, okay. Denver Barkey, ranked number 80 by Bob McKenzie, is okay. kind of like a ball of energy. He's like, he's willing to throw himself against the boards and through the boards to get the butt back. <laughs> um, you know, he'll keep fighting you until he's on the ice and has to like, tear himself off of the ice to come back and get the puck kind of guy. Um, Not the, you know, the most skilled checker, but somebody who's going to put it out there. Um, Mm. Also has a little bit of a, um, a little bit higher ceiling in terms of skill uh, Mm. related to somebody like Lipinski. He's got good hands, good playmaking, just seems like the competitive skill guy that maybe the Sharks are looking for, even though he's a little undersized. Sure. Um, Last one in terms of forwards is Matthew Soto. Um, He's ranked number 130 by CSS. Mm. So a little bit later on, maybe in like sixth, seventh round, um, put up something like 40 points in 50 games this year uh, in his junior uh, season. But similar thing to Barkey. Like he just is a excellent checker, excellent uh, energy guy, five foot 10, five foot 11, um, may not have the best playmaking or, you know, that kind of thing, but he's going to give it all every shift. So those are my three guys I'm going to mention uh, in terms of forwards that are my Mike Greer picks of this draft. But okay, we'll the, the Greerziest players of them all. So this is that's a that's a good list. I definitely can see uh one of them uh uh yeah yeah one, yeah. one of them going to the sharks. The Mike Greerziest and in the an interesting quote we're gonna get from Todd Marchant here in a second is it doesn't matter if your player is six foot five or five foot eight, you want them to display compete until they can't compete anymore. So mm-hmm. that's that's uh I think a good segue to our interview. Hey guys, uh, before you jump into the Todd Marshall interview, I just want to let you guys know that we talked with Todd on Monday. The Sharks announced on Friday that uh, they're hiring Patrick Marlowe as a development coach. So uh, Todd had that in his back pocket on Monday, but we weren't able to ask him, uh, get him on that. And anyway, so enjoy the interview with Todd. He played over 1,000 games with the New York Rangers, Edmonton Oilers, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Anaheim Ducks. He won a Stanley Cup with the Ducks in 2007. He was hired by the Ducks to be their director of player development in 2011. After over a decade developing talent in Anaheim, last summer, Mike Greer hired him in the same role with the San Jose Sharks. Welcome, Todd Marchant. Thanks for having me, guys. And Todd, uh, I just wanted to uh, kind of get started. Um, You know, uh, Todd, uh, I I asked the Sharks, you know, uh, in preparation for the draft, I wanted to talk with somebody, you know, kind of in the the draft area for the Sharks. And um, also, too, you were also part of the 1991 club recently. There was an interview with uh, Scott Fitzgerald, Director of Player Personnel, and Chris Morehouse, Director of Amateur Scouting, in terms of uh, draft prep. And first thought, though, is that you don't think of a director of player development being so involved in at least the pre-draft and draft process. You know, it's usually thought of uh, player development is, you know, after the draft, you get your hands on the player. So, you know, were you involved a lot in a pre-draft draft draft in Anaheim? You know, how's your kind of, you know, involvement in the draft different now? Well, I think you're always involved. Um, You know, these are the players that you're going to have to work with and, and, 
you know, a lot of the, the, the leg work and stuff is, is the responsibility of the actual amateur scouts in, in, in their area. But there are times when we're out watching one of our own players and we're seeing some of the draft eligible players. So, you know, we have, and, and a lot of times it's our experience too, of having played, um, you know, in, in the NHL and our experience of being in that locker room and having to go through the process can help the amateur scouts, uh, you know, help them make a decision. So, you know, we're, we're not, it's not like we're the ones that are making the decisions, but we help in the process. Hmm. Do you, you know, grind tape, watch tape the same way that some of the, the, the scouts, amateur scouts do? We do at times. Um, a lot of times you'll do it just because you want to get a, a feeling of what the player, um, what they look like uh, on the ice. But for me, there's nothing better than a live viewing. Uh, if you can get there and you see his mannerisms, how they handle themselves when they make a bad pass or, if they make a mistake or, you know, how they handle themselves when they, they're successful. I mean, all these different things that maybe you can't see, the intangibles that you can't see on video, that's where live viewings, I think, are so important. Hmm. And it makes sense too, right? Like if you are, let's say you're, you're going to uh, cover a Sharks prospect, you're going to go visit a Sharks prospect, right? But maybe one of his teammates is a draft eligible person and maybe you keep an eye on that guy a little bit, right? So you can have some insight to where your amateur guys well, for sure. And you also are watching players that are already been drafted, mm. you know, because maybe all of a sudden you're making a trade with another team and mm. you've seen that player three times, you know, Mike will, Mike will reach out and say, hey, what do you think of this, this player or this situation? So um, we kind of see all different aspects. We, we see the amateur side, but we also we see the pro side too, because, you know, we're in San Jose watching the Barracuda or we're, you know, uh, get a chance to see other teams, top American league uh, players play. So, we're kind of involved in all different facets of, uh, of the, the process. Okay. Well, let's jump into the 2023 draft. I know that you got, you can't give away too much of uh, specific draft plans, but you know, we got to ask you a few questions. Let's get right to kind of the elephant of the draft room, uh, Matt Bay Michkoff. And it's been said that teams are having trouble scheduling pre-draft meetings with him. So I have to ask you point blank. Do you guys have a meeting scheduled with Matt Bay in Nashville? Uh, I'm not aware of one, but uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have one. Um, mm -hmm. Again, a lot of these these types of situations are, you know, come from, you know, Mike and, and Chris Morehouse, our director of amateur scouting. Um, but he's obviously a highly, you know, he's a highly talented player. And, you know, it, if, if the, the staff feels as though a, a, an interview is warranted, then, then they'll have one. And I guess the second question with them, you know, obviously with the uh, Russian war in Ukraine, it's not easy for NHL teams to be there uh, live for KHL games. Has your Russian area scout, Nikolai Ladikin, who I understand lives in Ukraine, has he been able to see and interact with uh, Michkov in person this season? I, that I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question, but uh, I'm sure he's done his due diligence, whether it's been in a live viewing or a zoom meeting or, uh, you know, t talking with his representation. I'm sure he's done all his uh, legwork to help us make the best decision possible. From a more, I guess, development perspective, what might be different about drafting a player now from the KHL, from your side of it, where you might not have as much hands-on time with them and how much um, say do you have over their development versus their team development coaches already? It becomes very tricky, it, not just with Russian players, but even with sometimes with Swedish players and you know, European players in general, because, you know, they're being steered in one direction with the team that they play for. And specifically with Russian players, a lot of times they have, 
you know, longer term contracts. So you don't know when you're able to actually going to be able to get them over uh, to be able to play for you. And um, it's always a difficult situation, but you try to do the best you can. I mean, you get one week in the summertime at development camp uh, to be able to forge those relationships because that's the most important thing. Like for me, you know, last year, you know, not getting hired until after the draft, the draft is like the biggest, uh, it's the first time of communication with the players. If they're at the draft, we're meeting with their families, we're meeting with the players, we're meeting with their agents. We're, 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 we're con- we start the process right there. And if they're not there, then we get them out to development camp and we get to see them there. So last year for us not to be able to do either one kind of put us behind the eight ball a little bit in that respect. But I thought we picked it up really well. We got to meet all the players. Uh, we got to see them all play live several times. And we've, we've got that relationship with the players already so that when you pick up the phone and call them, it's like, it's like you're talking to a peer. It's not like it's a, it's a, someone where you, you don't necessarily know all about them. And we're constantly learning stuff about these players. And, and that's what's the most important part of, of this job is just being able to communicate with them. On the development aspect of it, is it a kind of an underrated element um, working with other teams, say, not just KHL, but SHL teams, other teams outside of North America where you guys have a good relationship with the development coach there or you just have a confidence in that development program or, again, the coaching staff there? Yeah, I, I think the mo- one of the things that we try to focus on is maybe not so much the technical part of, of their game. You know, are they – you know, how do they play in the D zone? What kind of a four check are they running? You know, because every team is going to be a little bit different. But when it comes down to uh, are you putting in the effort? Are you back checking hard? Are you finishing your checks? Are you doing all the little things well in the game? Are you supporting your teammates? All those, those are the things that it doesn't matter whether you're playing in the SHL or the CHL or the NCAA. Those coaches are going to want us to support the, that player in that, in that um, specific thing. Because it's going to make that player better, which is going to make their team better. And that, that's the other part of our, our, our job, too, is that we have a really good relationship with all the coaches. You know, um, we reach out to the coaches before we go to see them play and say, OK, what's you know, how's uh, how's uh, how's Keegan doing today? You know, are these days how is the game been? Is it is it is it trending up? Is it trending down? Do you need us to make a you know, to, to come in to see him? So there's communication with all their coaches as well uh, to help make that uh, that player the best that he can be. And it was, and this was kind of, I guess, in the same vein, but it was mentioned on the 1991 club town hall recently that the Sharks are looking for competitive skill um, and that, and that quote, basically. And, and we were hoping to get a little bit more of an elaboration on what that means exactly from a player. And uh, what do you uh, look for when you work with a player that clues you in on that kind of thing? But I mean, competitive skill is kind of a fancy way of saying we want players that compete. We want players that are hard to play against. And it doesn't matter if you're 6'5 or you're 5'8. You can, you can compete. And that's the way, you know, that's the way Mike played. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, that's the way that I played. It was like, okay, maybe we, you know, we had skill, but we played hard. And that's why we had careers that we did. And that's what teams want. We want, play, we want players that are going to compete, that are going to be hard to play against. And that's where the competitive skill kind of a comment comes in because, um, you know, you, you, there's all these different things that go into a hockey player, but what goes into a successful hockey player? And we just finished watching the playoffs and you see a lot of the top end players, they're, they're sacrificing their body. They're doing whatever it takes to be able to, to win that Stanley cup. And when we get to that point, that's the type of player that we want. Yeah. Just one more draft question. So get you off the 2023 draft, the hot seat there, Todd. 
<laughs> oh, no I have problem. to ask you about the goaltending. And, you know, just in general, just how hard is it to draft and predict an 18-year-old goalie compared to other positions? You know, like even looking like, obviously, in the playoffs, right? Uh, speaking of X-Shark, Aiden Hill winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, you guys uh, recently letting Ben Goudreau go back in the draft. Um, but then going back to your time in Anaheim, you guys had success with John Gibson in 2011, Frederick Anderson in 2012, Lucas Dosto in 2018. You know, just thinking back on all that, just like, was that just, you know, your success in Anaheim kind of like, is that is that a little bit goalies or voodoo, you know, a little bit of a lot of luck there? Or is there something that maybe you guys saw in those goalies that you kind of, guest could translate and you know might be we can apply to san jose this uh, this year well I, I, absolutely i mean goaltending is a, is a very difficult position to predict and and typically they take a little bit longer than uh than than the, the, the forwards or the defensemen um you know and then yeah the other issue is that you know take for instance uh, freddie anderson who was a european goaltender mm -hmm coming over from Europe to, the, to adjusting to the North American style of game where things happen a lot quicker um, as opposed to over on the bigger rink. So there's all these things that kind of go into that process. I mean, you know, Evgeny Nabokov is our director of goaltending. Obviously he had a great career and, and, and is responsible for re the recommendations on the goaltenders that we do pick. Um, but then you got to be patient. You got to be patient that it's going to take some time for them to finish out wherever it is that they're playing you know, look at uh, Magnus Krona, right? I mean, he just finished his four years at Denver, and now he's turned pro, and we're going to see where he ends up uh, with with our with the San Jose Sharks. So um, they do typically take a little bit longer, but you know, you when you watch the goaltenders, you'll see their technique, you'll see the different things that, that they do well. Um, do they compete in their crease, or are they just do they back in? And they that so all these different things that 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 kind of go into trying to pick the best player that you can. Absolutely. And, and I guess off of the, um, the 2023 draft talk or anything like that, and the, since this is your first season in San Jose as the development coach, has there been any um, players that you've noticed have had major leaps and bounds improvements this season or, or people that you um, have noticed uh, major development in? Well, I take a player like Ethan Cardwell. Okay. Ethan played in, uh, went back for his overage, uh, his 20 year old year. And uh, he had a really good year. He was in the top five, I think, in just about every five-on-five -five category. He was named the San Jose Prospect of the Year. Um, and I, I really liked his – you know, we talk about competitive skill. Ethan Cardwell comes up with competitive skill. He plays hard. He competes in all areas. And we, these are things that we told him that he needed to get better at going back to Barry. And he checked off every box for us in that respect. So that's why we, you know, we signed him and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, specifically what he can do in his first year at pro with the, with the, in San Jose. Um, it's always a big jump from junior to pro, but um, you know what, if you put the work in um, and you do the right things. And the other part about this is that when they turn pro is, you know, what they did in junior or in college or in Europe doesn't always translate to pro hockey. So they got to be, be able to adapt and they got to, you know, to, to, to learn the pro game um, and the ones that, that are willing to listen and learn, they have success quicker. The ones that are a little bit more like, well, this is what I did in junior and it worked for me. Chances are that it takes them a little bit longer to have success because it doesn't translate all the time. 
Can I ask you about a prospect of the year? Because that always comes out in the year-end awards. And we, uh, in the media, we vote for team MVP. Uh, we vote for, uh, well, we vote for a media good guy, just the guy who's the best with the media. We don't vote for prospect of the year, though. And so I always wonder kind of what went into it. Because, because they all come out at the same time, the fans assume that we vote for the prospect of the year. And it doesn't seem like it's sort of the you know, consensus, top prospect or organization. But, you know, so what kind of goes into the thinking when you guys make that selection? Yeah, so we have a meeting amongst our the hockey ops group. Obviously, the player development guys are, are you know, high, uh, you know, big part of that. The staff and the Barracuda, um, our assistant general managers are involved. Everyone kind of has a say as to who they might think fits that uh, or deserves that award. And, you know, to, it was a list of probably five or seven names. And then we whittle it down to about two or three. And then we ultimately pick one. And so it's not just me or it's not just Joe Will or it's not just uh, J-Mac. It's, it's the entire group of people that all kind of have a say as to, um, you know, who might bet that player be. And then we make a decision. And, and Ethan, he fits the, he fitted the bill this year. He was uh, he had an outstanding year and we're really looking forward to see what he can do in pro. All right, good. I'm tired of getting blamed for that. So thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess going back to, to more of like a top prospect talk, um, just from my own personal experience and also I think Shang too, watching Eklund throughout the year in the Barracuda, it seemed like he had some improvements throughout his game this year. Uh, is there anything you can speak to that about or what areas you told him to focus on throughout the year? Yeah, one area of his game that we really uh, uh, thought that needed to improve was his shot. And there's no question that his shot got better over the summer and throughout the season. And, you know, he was a, a player that played through uh, an injury, you know, being injured uh, pretty much the entire year until the end. And we saw a lot of growth in his game. And that's why he, he deserved getting called up at the end of the season uh, to get some NHL time. And, and, and you look at it and say, OK, but he saw NHL games the year before. Um, he did, but ultimately it ended up going back because. You know, he wasn't quite ready to be an, an everyday NHL player. And when we talk about um, bringing guys up from the American League to the NHL, we, we don't want to bring players up just to play. I always say, don't play in the NHL. We want you to come up and have success. And that's a big difference because, you know, you get some players that, you know, you come up too early and they just, it's just too much. And, and then you have to worry about their confidence. And you have to worry about all these, well, why, why, am I, why didn't I get called up this time? And there's all these things that kind of go into it. But when you do it the right way this year, we were very, very patient with our young players. And we made sure that, that when they did get a chance, that they were ready and deserved it. And, you know, I think we saw Eki, you know, play really well in his games up top after he kind of, you know, in the first couple of games, it was, it was a little tough for him. He struggled a little bit, but then you could see him start to get his feet under him. And then he finished off strong. So I think that just being patient with, with players, um, young players like that um, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And um it did seem like when he came up the second time for his second NHL stint that he was a little bit more comfortable and felt like he could complete those uh, high skill like passes and plays that a little bit that split second timing was a little bit better. Um, yeah, it's a big step, not only from junior uh, college or Europe to the American League, but that's another big jump um, to the NHL. I mean, like you said, it's, it's a lot faster. Um, the players are bigger and stronger. Um, you make a mistake a lot of times it's in the back of your net and you know that those are things that you have to learn in the American League. that's where I talk about having to change your game a little bit uh, to 
to to have it be ready for pro hockey. And that's another example of where, you know what, you make a mistake in the American League, maybe it ha- goes in your net, you know, 50% of the time or 25. In the NHL, the number goes to 75. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you just got to be, you got to limit your mistakes. And, and that's where you learn that is in the American League. Yeah. And then there's always, as this goes on to the next question, but there's always a yearly debate of where these like skilled, smaller players, uh, guys under 5'10", 5'11", where they're going to go on draft day. It seems like some of them tend to fall down lists because of their size specifically. So what do you guys look for in smaller players and, and what do you focus on in their development to really give them a chance to succeed, knowing that the Sharks have a few of the um, uh, players like this, like Bordalo and Gushin and everything? Yeah, I think being, I mean, you know, I was a smaller player too. I think if you're a smaller player, you got to excel in a couple other areas. You either have to have elite hockey sense, you have to be an elite skater, um, or you are you have to have elite skill. Like you've got to, you've got to fulfill some of those other categories um, because of your size. But I'll tell you what, the way the game is played today, there are more smaller players playing in the NHL than it ever has before because of the way that the game is called. You know, you go back 20 or 25 years ago, uh, more than that. I mean, it it was barbaric at times with the hooking and the holding. And, you know, um, you know, someone asked Paul Korea one time, you know, don't you wish you could play today? And he's like, I don't think so because everybody is fast now and the way the game is played. He goes, I, back then I could get away, I could get away from players and that's how I was able to be successful. So um, the way that the game is, is called today and played uh, allows for smaller players to have more of an opportunity than they ever, ever had before. And I wanted to ask you about a couple of your uh, Swedish prospects, one uh, smaller guy and one bigger guy. Uh, first, uh, Philippe uh, Bistad, you guys uh, just signed him to his entry-level contract. Uh, can you say what the plan for him is next year? You know, Is he going to play in the SHL, or maybe he'll come over here and compete for NHL or uh, AHL? Well, we're gonna, his play will determine that. Hmm. You, know, um, you know, if he comes over, he's coming over to development camp and you know, that's another opportunity uh, for us to, to see him play. And um, he obviously had a great world juniors and he, in the second half of his SHL year was, was strong as well. So his play determines where he ends up. Uh, if he's ready for the NHL, well, then maybe he's going to play in the NHL. And if he's not, you know, maybe he goes back to for another year in, in the SHL and continues to grow and, and, and develop. And Again, it, it goes back to not being in a rush. There's no rush with these players. Mm-hmm. When they're ready, they're ready. And that's why, I, that's why I made the comment of just not playing in the NHL but having success. And we want all of these players to have success. So that in-between option of the Barracuda and AHL, that's maybe not likely then? Well, you, you, never, you just never know with these situations. You know, um, you know a lot of times I believe he has a, a European um, – clause that allows him to go back uh but these are discussions that happen between you know the agent and 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 mike Mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day we want to do what's right for philip right if it's if the right thing for him is to go back then he goes back and if the right for thing for him to stay then it's to stay. but it's always in a communication with not only the player uh his agent and his family because we want to make sure that you know we 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 put everybody in the right situation Okay. And I also want to ask you about a Matias Havlid too, and just sort of uh, what his immediate future uh, looks like. Well, he had a tough year, um, you know, with the injury that he suffered in, you know, October, and then he tried to come back and then he suffered the injury again. So he missed a lot of time this year. 
Um, right now he's healthy. Um, he's another player that we'll see at development camp. Um, I actually went over to see him play in November and he had just got hurt right before I got there. So I didn't uh-huh. get a chance to see him play live, but, um, you know, I got a chance to, to sit down and talk to him a little bit. And, um, so we want him to have a, a really good year, be healthy. Um, but the plan is for him to go back to Linköping and play a prominent role on that team. And then I guess, uh, speaking of Havlid in the, in the defense, the Sharks over the past year have, um, obviously drafted Havlid and Jake Furlong, long, uh, traded for Kiermukamadoulin, Ahotiuk, and uh, Henry Thrun around the trade deadline. Can you talk about the emphasis on developing the defensive pipeline this year? Because it seems like that's kind of one of Mike's focuses. Yeah, it was one area that 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 uh, that Mike and his staff and us that you know we looked at the the depth that we had at defense, and we felt as though it needed to be um, we needed you know we needed more. We needed more quality players, and you know in the Timo Meyer trade, we were able to get Mukmudu and Otuk uh, in that trade. Two more defensemen like you said, and then, you know, we were able to get Henry Thrun as a, you know, a, a tr- on a trade and, and sign because, you know, he wasn't going to be able to sign with, wasn't going to sign with Anaheim. So he started adding all these players to the mix. And now all of a sudden we got some youth and depth at defense mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's where you start. You start with the draft picks and you start, you know, building all these players. And then, you know, it would be great if all of them developed into great NHL players, but it, uh, obviously that doesn't happen. But to be able to have the players, if you don't have the players, then you won't be able to have, have nobody to, to develop and to have success. But if you have the players, you have a chance for that to grow into. And I think we thought we saw what Henry was able to accomplish in those little games that he played at the end of the season. Um, you know, Muck came over uh, at the end of the year and played some games for the Barracuda. So I, I think that, um, you know, now if we can get everybody healthy and have a really good summer, it's going to be an exciting time to see all these players, um, you know, come rookie camp and training camp in September. Well, obviously you're not going to close the door on adding even more elite young defensemen, but I wonder just in general, are you guys feeling pretty satisfied with the defensive pipeline right now? Or do you still feel like maybe there are areas that you guys can add in, um, you know, just in general uh, with the uh, defense? Never satisfied. You always want more, um, you know, because it, it's it, and it creates competition amongst the players. I mean, if you only have one or two, then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I got no one pushing me. But if you've got five or six or seven and then, you know, then you've got some competition for spots and that's what you want. And, and that's how you get those competitive, skilled players mm. is through, you know, drafting, developing, but then also the competition amongst your peers because you want the, the players to be at their best. And uh, speaking of, uh, you know, somebody that uh, might be in that group of your better defensive prospects, but he had a lot of injuries this, this past year, so kind of lost his, uh, lost his, his way a little bit. Um, anything you can say about Gannon LaRock uh, this summer? You know, uh, should we expect him at development camp? Is he recovered from a couple of injuries that he had last year? Yeah, Gannon had a tough year. I mean, um, you know, with having to have double hip surgery, uh, we'll have one, then come back, and then have to have the other one done. Um, Gannon will be at development camp, Great. but he will not be participating on oh, no. the ice. Okay. Yeah, okay. just because the timeline isn't there. He, I think he had surgery in, in March, February, March, I believe. So it's not quite ready for that. But, um, you know, he's on the right track. He's been through this situation before, so he knows what to expect. That's the, mm. the kind of the positive, I guess, of having had the other hip done was that 
He knows the timeline. He knows the work that has to be done. He's been doing it. He's, he's uh, on the right track for everything. And, you know, we're really looking forward to him be having a healthy year this year and, and, and turning pro. Wait, so he's had surgeries on opposite sides of the both both hips, basically. Yeah, he's had wow. both done. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, That's, yeah, they talked about like Tom Ostrudo, you know, has had surgery on both knees and, you know, having that experience. But you don't hear a lot about players having, you know, that, uh, you know, two hip surgeries. Hip then, surgeries are the new thing. It's the new thing amongst uh, <laughs> players, it seems like. Um, you know, at one point it was knees, then it was shoulders, mm-hmm. then it was sports hernias, and now it's hips. And I guess know. if you identify that injury early enough, you can stop whatever kind of damage could happen if you get in with the right uh, medical staff and everything. Yeah, you just, you know what? I mean, you don't want it to plague you for years and years and years, you know, like, uh, unfortunately, again, that's one area of our game I think that has improved a lot is that is, is the care that we give these players, you know, um, you know, that, that we can make sure that they get the right, see the right doctors and get the right diagnosis and, and be able to, because you know what, when, when you try and play through things over time, you end up doing more damage than, 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 than you need to. And just to clarify a couple of details, uh, which hip was uh, operated on most recently with Gannon? <laughs> I don't remember. It's only two <laughs> <Yeah>. sides. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'll say that if I say the right, I got 50% chance of getting it right. <laughs> but also... 50% chance of getting it wrong. So, okay, all good. Wrong. Yeah, so I'll, I'll <laughs> think the fifth on that one. Okay, I'll, I'll look. We could look that up ourselves. But I uh, do want to ask, though, about Gannon in particular, though, um, with, you know, obviously what he's dealing with. Uh, is there sort of a timeline for him to be uh, back playing again? Then, like, may, is he going to be ready for rookie face-off or could it take longer? Because that sounds very, you know, serious. My understanding, uh, the uh, barring setbacks, uh, that he'll be ready for rookie camp okay, and great. training camp. So, um, that's why we're not pushing them at development camp. It's like, there's no rush to get, get there. You, you miss development camp, but then you still have, or you'll be there, be a part of it, but you'll still have two more months or two and a half months before you have to be ready to go. So, um, he'll be down seeing our docs and our trainers and working out and doing everything he can. And, and again, I, I, that's why I love bringing these guys in because it's a week we get to spend together we get to cr- continue to build that bond between the development staff and the players. Um, because then eventually it's a handoff, right? It goes from the amateur guys to us. And then we have yeah. them while they're in that process. And then it's, there's a, a handoff to the, to the American league team or NHL team to the coaches. And we're always still a part of it. You know, like I remember, you know, my time here in Anaheim where, you know, I'd go on a road trip, you know, and I would go back to go in the locker room with the, with the guys and, you know, the players that I'd worked with would come up and say, Hey, where you been? Who have you seen? What, where you? They just want to, you know, cause that's, that's the relationship that you were the guy that they saw on, on a consistent basis. So you build those, re, those relationships and, and you can, they, and they don't, you know, like the other day I, I sent Will Carlson a text and Shay Theodore a text congratulating him on winning the Stanley cup because these are players that I work with. And I just, and they both got back say, thanks. I appreciate it. It was awesome. So I, it's just, you know, you always have that relationship. I gotta ask you, did you uh, see uh, uh, William Carlson's uh, parade? Uh... <laughs> His dancing to the ABBA. I saw. It. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw it. Did you know um... that? Did you know that he always had that in him? You know, like uh, his nickname actually is Wild Bill. And but, you know, I actually dealt with him his first year in Vegas. I covered that team, and he seemed like the you know the most you know kind of 
well-mannered. He might have been the, the most well-mannered Golden Knight player, you know, that, that expansion year. Uh, but he also has the Wild Bill moniker. So did you see that coming uh, for his, uh, you know, uh, Cup Parade celebration? Our Swedish, uh, the Swedish scout in Anaheim was the one that gave him the nickname Wild Bill because he's, he's the farthest <laughs> thing from Wild Bill. Right. Um, but he was always a very quiet, shy kid. And, you know, and then, you know, obviously getting to Vegas was an opportunity for him to really blossom as a player. So, um, no, I didn't see that in him, but, you know, good for him. I think, I think we have probably one more question for you. And it's, um, there was mention that the, the scouts do, or the development staff does a lot of video work with prospects throughout the year. And I think Jake Furlong was mentioned. Were there any other ones that were um, that consistent that you guys worked with uh, remotely? Yeah, I mean, so I, Lucas Spiza, who is a, a former NHL player, is a defenseman, is on our staff. And so is Tommy Wingles, who was a San Jose draft pick. Tommy works with the forwards and, and Luca works with the defensemen. And with the ability of having all these different platforms, these video platforms, um, you're able to pull shifts and games. And, and you know, it, every player is a little bit different. Some like to work and do video and some don't. So you got to kind of figure that part out too. But Jake Furlong was one that, that he loved doing video work with, with Luca. So they would spend, you know, every couple of weeks or, you know, during the month, they would break down his shifts. And he would say, okay, here's the things that, here's some of the shifts, the things that you did, you could be better at. And here's some of the shifts that you were really good at. And Jake really liked that feedback. So I kept telling Luca, do it, whatever he wants you, you know, whatever he, he's up for, you might as well do that. So again, it's another layer. Whereas another player might say, you know what? I don't like doing that. I'd rather just have, see you in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just depending on how, and not that we didn't see Jake in person because we did, but um that was just another layer that jake jake enjoyed so that's why we continue to do that uh just how excited are you guys for jake he seems like a guy that's you know risen uh, a little bit from his draft position yeah he took a big step this year and and especially in the playoffs i thought he played really well um i thought he was one of one if one of if not their best defenseman in the playoffs and obviously they went all the way to the the, i think they lost in game six Mm -hmm. uh to quebec um who end up winning the whole thing. So, I mean, you know, the, Quebec didn't lose. I think they lost two games in the, in the entire playoffs in the Quebec uh, playoffs, and both games were against Halifax. So, I mean, <laughs> they knew that they played played against the best team. So, uh, but as far as Jake's go, Jake had a really good year, and we're looking forward to, to him having another big year next year, um, you know, and, and, and forcing our hand to, to make a decision on him. Well, Todd, I want to thank you again so much uh, for the time. I know that uh, you're busy and a draft coming up next week, development camp, uh, free agency, just a lot going on. So uh, enjoy the last, I guess, couple of days before uh, we uh, get going here. But again, thank you for, so much for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Todd. Uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the brand new San Jose Hockey Now podcast. We're going to be here every week. We'll see you next week uh, from Nashville.